Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Funnables. Funnables aren't just fruit snacks. Every bite your child takes is fueled to spark their imagination, taking them from a wild unicorn space mission to a deep-sea dive into a rainbow river. Funnables are made with 7.1% real fruit puree and are an excellent source of vitamins A, C, and E. So anytime, any place, make snack time playtime with Funnables Fruit Snacks. Have fun. Eat it, too. Visit FunnablesSnacks.com to shop now. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Today we're going to be talking about cheap road bike upgrades. I'm Matthew Loveridge, senior writer at Bike Radar, and I'm joined today by Simon Bromley, technical writer. Simon, what makes a good cheap road bike upgrade? Well, I think, I suppose maybe we should define cheap and, and it, I guess cheap, maybe, you know, we can talk about things that are, you know, cheap in the very much absolute sense of the word. And I suppose for cheap, I'd say kind of under a hundred, maybe even under, under 50 pounds. But then there are also things that are kind of relatively cheap. You know, you can spend thousands of pounds on wheels but you can also spend you know a few hundred pounds on wheels and so i suppose it's kind of it's kind of defining you know, you know absolutely cheap and then relatively cheap and then obviously you'd, you'd like it to kind of p- perform just as well as something more expensive and and maybe all you'll lose out on is the bling factor okay so i've got a nice road bike I enjoy riding it very much. I think it could be better in some way. What's my starting point for making it a better bike? I think the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure everything's kind of working correctly. Um, So you want to make sure your kind of shifting is good. You want to make sure your position on the bike is comfortable. So that, you know, that's saddles, that's handlebars, that's contact points, pedals and things like that. And yeah, you just want to make sure that everything is kind of running smoothly, working correctly. You know, you want to 
you know, picking the glass out of your tires before you go out on the road and puncture is a very cheap upgrade to ensure that your ride <laughs> will be much more enjoyable, for example. Yeah, I, I'd go along with that. So sh- um, in terms of shifting, obviously you want to make sure that your cables aren't gummed up, um, that you get all of your gears, that your index is working. You'd be stunned at the number of people that bring bikes into bike shops and they've just been putting up with the fact that they only have half of their gears. Um so that's yeah, really key point. Uh, in terms of mechanical stuff, things can just be worn out. So chains, cassettes, even like your derailleurs could be really baggy if they're properly worn out. So that would probably be a better starting point than maybe bling stuff, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you know you can change the if you if you're if you've run your derailleurs for a really long time, the likelihood is that the jockey wheels will be worn out, and now obviously you can get very fancy jockey wheels with ceramic bearings that you know spin forever in your fingers like as a little sort of fidget spinner um but you don't have to buy the really expensive ones if you just replaced your old kind of knackered dry jockey wheels with the standard shimano ones or ceram ones or whatever you whatever you run and just you know the the bog standard off the shelf ones can be pretty cheap but they can they make a nice little bit of difference to the way your drivetrain feels and it's the same with your kind of bottom bracket bearings. If you, you know, if you haven't greased those ever and you've been running them for you know three or four years, then you know changing those might make a nice difference. To it's not probably going to save you loads of watts, but it might feel slightly nicer, and it all adds up. And I, I think you know you're you're one for, for whom feel is quite a big thing, aren't you, Matthew? So I suppose anything that can make your bike feel a bit better is always going to help. Yeah, I do think that's really important. Having a bike that where everything feels kind of taut done up everything everything just functions you don't want any weird noises nothing makes a bike feel shonky like funny noises so that stuff like cables rattling inside the frame or valves rattling against rims that's a really easy one to fix you just put a bit of electrical tape over the valve or 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 cables knocking against the head tube and stuff like that and there's usually a solution sometimes it's really annoying fixing these things you can spend ages greasing different parts of your bike to try and pin down a noise. But before spending money on parts, to me, that's a really key thing. Uh, if you've ever had stem bolts that creak, that's a really, really horrible sound. And it just makes your bike sound broken, but so easy to fix. Just take the bolts out, dab a little grease on them, put them back in, do them up properly. That's sorted. And you can get creaks from parts of your bike that you probably never even thought about. Like, for example, the interface between the end caps on your hub and the dropout, stupid stuff like that. Um, So I do all that stuff. And then I think in terms of feel, when you're riding your bike, you're looking down at your handlebars, and that is the part of your bike you see the most. And for me, bar tape is such a big thing on a road bike because new bar tape makes a bike look like a new bike. And it's such a cheap way to make your bike feel nice again. You can get a roll of bar tape for about 10 quid or so. Or, you know, you can you can spend 30 quid on bar tape if you must, but you don't have to. Just cheap, normal bar tape for 10 quid will make all the difference. And don't buy white stuff because it will be filthy within two weeks. Are you a fan yeah, of white bar tape? Yeah, I was going to say, I love white bar tape. I think, you know, um, I really like white bar tape, I think, because there's in Sunday in Hell, that film by Jürgen Leff about Paris-Roubaix, uh, they sort of say that white bar tape is is for leaders and for champions. So you can make yourself a leader and a champion. You can be like Mercs and put white bar tape on your bike. And of course, it does get filthy, but then 
that just shows how 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 clean you keep your bike. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it is very pro. I associate white bar tape with being pro, and for my first few years of road road cycling, I exclusively used it. I used to spend waste loads of time trying to figure out how to clean white bar tape. I did stuff like putting washing up liquid on it and spraying WD-40. Um, but basically, white bar tape doesn't stay white for very long. So if you don't have a team mechanic who's rewrapping your bars after every stage win, then perhaps consider going with black bar tape. Also, because the chances are you probably have a black saddle on your bike and then it matches collars and cuffs. It's always nice to have. Yeah, it's increasingly difficult to get white saddles these days as well. I, 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 this is something that's kind of eating away at me a little bit although i'm trying to justify the fact that i might have to go with a black saddle and white bar tape by the by the fact that mercs used to ride for black saddle and white bar tape but i think that's because that was the only choice he had do do you measure everything you do against well you've got to have standards haven't you (laughs) i can't i can't can't match up to him in terms of my legs or anything but you know at least you can kind of you can pretend you're yeah, classic pro in some ways, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it, it it does take more work. I won't I won't deny that. You, I I find that like kind of um, faux leather white bar tape is much easier to keep clean than kind of cork white bar tape. I certainly wouldn't get cork white bar tape because yeah, you're right. Like it, it it's yeah, impossible that's, to keep that's clean. That's definitely valid. Okay, so that's most of the aesthetic stuff. Um, cleanliness, though, overall, is a big part of making your bike perform well i know you're a bit of a stickler for drivetrain maintenance what's your regime so the the very first thing i do when you buy a new bike or a new chain anything like that is you really want to get the kind of factory grease off it and i think you know a lot of people kind of well a lot of even you guys the colleagues think i'm a bit bonkers for that but obviously factory grease is just there to prevent corrosion and if you get it all over your drivetrain for by going out for a ride and you know using your gears and things like that everything just gets contaminated it'll attract loads of dirt and grit and and all of a sudden you'll be wearing down your parts causing friction it'll be slowing you down you know and so i think it's a really easy cheap fix is to just get that new chain into some degreaser get it nice and clean before you put it on your bike and then you know use a kind of like a, a really good lubricant like a wax-based lube or if you're really into it like me you can put it in your little slow cooker in a in a hot wax bath you know you can treat it like a lover and uh yeah save yourself a load of watts. so this is this is more performance orientated i guess but it does also keep your drive train nice and clean i mean i don't know if you you if you've ever used wax lube matthew but it does keep your drive train very clean i I have not, and in the interests of balance, I should point out that I regard everything that Simon just said as complete lunacy. And indeed, I read many years ago that you should leave the factory grease on your chain as long as possible because it's a good quality protector for your chain. So leaving aside performance issues, it's nice sticky grease and it tends to last quite a long time, and that's why I've tended to leave it alone. We ride a lot of new bikes, obviously, at Bike Radar, and they're innumerable test bikes that i've probably only ever ridden with the factory grease on the drivetrain which i know will upset you deeply but anyway we all have our different approaches but i think we can agree that generally speaking looking after your drivetrain is a good performance upgrade not having it covered yeah and it's also going to save you money as well because um contamination essentially increases friction and more friction means more drivetrain wear so if you can keep your drivetrain clean 
you know that's gonna it's gonna mean you can you can afford to be really cheap in the long run and it you know especially if you if you want to you know if you want to pay extra money up front to get the kind of bling dura ace parts then you know they're incredibly expensive to replace i mean a dura ace cassette or a top of the range campagnolo super record cassette you could spend 300 quid 300 pounds sorry on those and and yeah for, yeah. for a disposable part so it's, it's if you're gonna do that i would say you know you really need to keep your drivetrain clean unless you've got silly money that you can afford to just throw it away but you know that that's that's not very environmentally friendly and, and we love the environment here at bike radar so so keep it clean and you'll you'll save yourself loads of money okay right so we've got our clean, lubricated, happy, aesthetically pleasing bike. Let's talk about some things that we'd actually spend money on. So I guess we should start from a value perspective. I want to ride a bit faster and enjoy my bike riding a little bit more. Where do I start with that? I think for me, and you might agree, because I think everyone tends to agree on this, is that tyres are the really, really big one. Um, stock bikes tend to come with tyres that are not amazing they'll probably be fine for general riding but they won't be the fastest they won't be the most supple you know which sort of means they won't kind of deform as as quickly uh, as a kind of more expensive tire and and so you can definitely you can increase your speed increase your comfort you know perhaps even in, increase the kind of range of surfaces that you can ride on with a better tire i am absolutely in agreement on that one i think Obviously, like most, if you're riding on the road, most tyres are going to be fine. But it's something that does make a real difference to the feel of your bike. And you've got such a small contact between your bike and the surface you're riding on that it's really important. And so having you can justify spending money on good tyres by saying, like, I am less likely to crash. And also, potentially, I am less likely to puncture unless you're buying, like, TT specific tires with no puncture protection. It's probably yeah. the sort of thing you do, Simon, but <laughs> not something we necessarily endorse for everyday riding. But upgrading to a kind of all-round performance clincher tire is never a bad move, and also means, for example, you might go to a bigger tire, which would, like you say, you could ride on more surfaces, get some more comfort, and maybe we'll talk about this a bit with wheels as well. But you might also go tubeless, which is a whole nother ball game that you might want to get involved with so then you could run lower pressures lower rolling resistance have all the fun of that so yeah do tires what else so i think contact points are, uh, are often a good one again you know your your bike probably comes with a saddle and it's probably a fine saddle but there's maybe better ones out there you know our colleague jack just wrote a little uh article about finding the perfect saddle for him and how much joy that's brought him so you can buy a, you know, you don't, obviously saddles tend to come from manufacturers in a range of kind of made out of a range of materials at a range of different price points. And the fancier ones tend to be kind of full carbon, super lightweight, all of that stuff. But the lower end ones tend to be the same shape and they probably perform very, very similarly, but they'll be a little bit heavier because they're made out of maybe a thermoplastic with alloy or titanium rails or something like that and and i would always tend to go for the cheapest one you know you take the kind of 50 gram weight penalty because it really doesn't make a difference and you know spend the money on something else or just save the money i think that's really good advice um 
Saddles are such a personal thing. I'm still engaged on the lifelong quest that Jack seems to have come to the end of. Uh, but yeah, finding the right saddle is such a huge thing when it comes to long distance ride comfort. I would say if you are thinking of trying lots of saddles, some brands have demo programs that they do through shops. That's really worth exploiting because they'll be very happy to lend you a saddle. Or if that's not an option, buying saddles secondhand just to try out. You might then go and buy a new one because you want a shiny new part on your bike. But saddles are very expensive and they depreciate quite heavily because they're in contact with people's bottoms. So <laughs> buying a secondhand one can save you a lot of money. That's what I used to do when I was a poverty-stricken student looking to buy a different bike saddle. Uh, what else can we do? Uh, would you change the cockpit on your bike, perhaps? Yeah, I, I would. This is another one of my um, passions, I suppose. Uh, I really like narrow handlebars and... Um, you know, so I ride, or I have been riding 30, 36 centimeter handlebars on my road bike for a while now. And, um, you know, narrow, narrow is just generally faster. And if you're interested in going fast, you want to get kind of narrow and compact. And, you know, you, you don't have to spend loads of money on, on fancy carbon handlebars. It, that's not really going to help that much. You can, even if you wanted an aero section on the, uh, you know, along the, the kind of tops of the bar, you can get alloy aero handlebars now i think um but regardless of whether you're interested in going faster you know changing the shape of your handlebar you might you might there might be some, you know just like with saddles there might be something out there that's more comfortable for you you know I, i'm not really a fan of compact drops for example uh, i don't think they offer that many sort of riding hand positions so you can swap a handlebar out pretty cheaply and you can you can get a set of handlebars for maybe 30 40 50 pounds i certainly wouldn't be wanting to spend any more than a hundred pounds on a set of handlebars no no I'm, i agree on that one generally speaking if you're looking for performance for your money aerodynamic things are a good thing to focus on aren't they yeah maybe not on kind of frames and wheels if you're looking for cheap upgrades because aero anything that's kind of carbon <laughs> and aero tends to be very expensive but other there are plenty of aero upgrades that can be had cheaply i mean there's you know, a free aero upgrade, as sort of Jack and I talked about on a previous podcast, is just changing your body position on the bike. You know, if you just crouch down and tuck your head under the kind of level of your shoulders and get nice and low, you know, that doesn't cost anything. But that's probably going to be the kind of biggest upgrade in terms of speed you'll you'll be able to find. Yeah, and I gather there's there's basically like a hierarchy of things that you do, like do this first, do this, do this. And for example, I know a lot of TT riders they don't wear gloves because their hands are out in the airflow and they actually do create real drag i mean where would you start what is your personal hierarchy for so my, my personal hierarchy for kind of getting rid of drag would be obviously the says body position number one uh number two is is the kind of clothing you're wearing uh and as, as you just sort of alluded to anything you know because your body is such a huge part of the the kind of rider bike package your clothing covers most of the you know a huge percentage of the kind of surface area and so it has a huge effect on drag and i think you know you'd you'd save more in terms of watts by switching to a a really good skin suit versus standard kit than you would to switching between say you know time trial bike a and time trial bike b the differences between bikes are very small, but the differences between clothing can be huge. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we probably wouldn't necessarily recommend that everyone out there riding road bikes switches to wearing a skin suit full time, <laughs> would we? But getting kit that really fits you properly definitely makes sense because flapping fabric is is just hugely draggy. It's also not very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you, like I said, like you say, you, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you go out and, and sort of buy a Castelli body paint for skin suit to to turn up to your late to your next club ride on. Um, but if you're interested in time trialing or hill climbs or you know anything where going for you know or even sort of short criterium racing, anything where going fast and you don't necessarily need pockets, I would recommend doing that. But yeah, just for general riding, as you say, think about making sure your kit is nice and tight. You know. Most brands these days sell a kind of aero range of road kit as well. And it's going to be, you know, slightly more expensive than their standard range. But in terms of value for money and in terms of increasing your speed and increasing your performance, I think it's much better value for money than, say, buying a whole new bike frame or buying a whole new bike. Well, that brings us on to the big money upgrades but trying to keep it cheap. So we're not going to talk about changing frames because that doesn't count as upgrading your bike anymore. But if you are going to change big stuff, the obvious one, I guess, is wheels, isn't it? So where would you focus your money if you were looking to buy some new wheels? Say I've got a typical 1500 quid road bike and it's got a relatively entry-level set of wheels on it, like Mavic Axiom, say. Where would you go from there? So, you know... You can obviously spend thousands of pounds on wheels. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure you really need to. I don't think you know, wheels make a kind of, you know, they do make a tangible difference. And, and if you can afford to, to buy a kind of set of 60 mil deep carbon wheels, you can feel the difference. And I guess the difference is probably going to be around 10, 10 watts over a shallow wheel or something. And so, but that's not a huge difference. And I would, probably be tempted to save that money spend it on clothing or something else and buy a slightly shallower cheaper set of wheels you know maybe an alloy rim with a progressive shape you can get you know brands like hunt for example do a kind of wide alloy wheel set that has a sort of 30 34 35 millimeter deep rim something like that and you know the difference between that alloy wheel set and then say a 50 mil deep carbon wheel set is not going to be that huge but the price difference you know, these hunt wheels cost less than 500 pounds i think but you know unless you're buying super cheap carbon wheels you're not going to find a set of carbon wheels for under 800 maybe even a thousand pounds i think they'll those two will be so close in performance that I'd, I'd save the money most of the time. Yeah I, I think that's really valid as well we've talked about this with bike frames in the past where carbon carbon's great carbon is the best at a lot of things there's a reason people love carbon and why it's what is used for the most high performance bikes but in terms of diminishing returns it's a real thing with wheels particularly because you can build an amazing set of alloy wheels for under 500 quid but the really performance based carbon stuff is so much more expensive and yeah it looks cool but how much does that matter i mean it that on the looks thing, actually, that's an interesting one because I remember years ago really, really wanting carbon wheels, primarily because they were all black, which, of course, with, with rim brakes, that's not an option with aluminium wheels because you're always going to have that brake track. But now that 
a lot of bikes have discs, that's no longer the case. You can get all black aluminium clinchers. And so the, the incentive to go carbon seems even smaller. And like you mentioned, progressive rim shape, we should probably explain, we basically mean a wide rim. Yeah. Not You might want to go full arrow. You might want to go with something that's quite deep as well and has a nice blunt section that performs well in a variety of conditions. But width is a big thing, isn't it? If you want to get the best out of your tyres, a larger internal width is a genuine upgrade because it means you can run your tyres at lower pressure and they will have a nicer shape on the rim so they'll perform better overall. And once upon a time, a wide rim had an internal width of like 18 mil. That's now quite narrow, actually, and you might very well go to like a 21 mil in a width or wider. And that's something really worth considering. And at the same time, why not try tubeless? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, and, and those kind of wider rim shapes really help in a kind of aerodynamics sense to sort of smooth the the edges of the tires with the rims. And again, the kind of wider external width means you can run a slightly wider tire and, and still maintain the aero benefit of the rim. You know, the um, this guy called Josh Portner, who now he owns Silka, used to work for Zip, and he has this kind of 105% rule where he they he found when he was working at Zip that in order to maintain the kind of peak aero performance of a wheel, the rim needs to be around 105% of the width of the tire so you know if you're running that's a, the external width of the rim yeah that's right the external width of the rim so if you're running a you know a 28 mil wide rim then really you need to be running a kind of 27 mil or or smaller tire for optimum aero performance now you know it, i wouldn't say optimum aero performance is the be all and end all by any means but you know if you're if you're interested solely in going fast then it's just something to think about and so yeah, and, and you can get alloy wheels in, in those kind of shapes these days. And, you know, there'll be a minor weight penalty, perhaps. But, you know, the weight is really meaningless. And I think it's something that you've talked about before, Matthew, is that the difference between really good aluminium parts and bikes and then kind of cheap carbon parts and bikes, actually, I think nine out of ten times, I'd probably prefer to have the aluminium part. Yeah, that that's very true. And carbon has got a lot more accessible, and that's a great thing as a general rule. But you have to look at why it's cheaper, and if it's something where actually it's no lighter. Admittedly, like carbon rims tend to be stiffer, but again, stiffness is not the be-all and end-all. It's one of many things that affect how a wheel feels. And a nice, taut set of aluminium clinchers can be really comfortable and really light and ride beautifully and for me has many of the same kind of feel-good benefits as carbon it just doesn't it just isn't carbon yeah and you're t i think as well you you know because cheap carbon wheels you, you tend to have to compromise somewhere so either as you say that's kind of in the quality of the carbon in the rim but more often than not actually i i always find with cheap carbon wheels that they've compromised on the quality of the hubs and to me that's a real in the long run that that's that's a real fool's game yeah, definitely. And you should, particularly if you live in the UK and you ride in not great weather a lot of the time, you should think about that stuff because if you buy a super lightweight wheel set that has no-name hubs with tiny little bearings, you're going to be changing bearings all the time because they just cannot handle being doused in like wet, salty water through the winter. And you'd probably be much better off with a heavier, better-built set of hubs from a reputable brand even if they're not that light and you don't have to spend loads of money like yes we 
maybe like to ride super expensive DT Swiss hubs. But for example, the Italian brand Mike makes some hubs with quite large bearings. They're very dependable, beautifully made, and they're really not that expensive. You can get a pair of them for... I don't know, 150 quid. I think it might be less than that, actually. Yeah, I think it probably is and less than that. Yeah. You can, If you build that into a set of nice clinches, that's a great year-round wheel set. And you also, speaking of building stuff, specking your own hand-built wheels can be a really good approach because, again, you can choose things to suit the conditions. You might choose to spec brass nipples on your wheels because then they won't corrode through the winter. I think a lot of bike parts are chosen on the basis of this kind of imaginary perfect world where we all ride on sun-drenched Mallorcan climbs but the reality of cycling in this country at least is just not like that most of the time yeah I mean absolutely it's why it's why you know the majority of road bikes don't have mudguard mounts right even though <laughs> yeah which absolutely does my head in and it's something I've, I've written columns about in the past I moan about it constantly but basically the bike industry just doesn't care about mudguards and even now that adventurous bikes are cool people are building stuff for adventuring in all conditions and they're covering it in luggage and stuff but somehow a lot of these people are not putting any form of fender on their bike it's like do they not get wet feet <laughs> i don't understand this at all yeah so uh I've, you know like yeah the alloy wheels are are still perfectly good i think i've got a, a you know the front wheel on my time trial bike is a kind of uh it's an old shimano c50 wheel with an alloy rim and a carbon bonded on um fairing yeah, some something it's a little bit like a head jet, I guess. And you know, to me that that's still a really good wheel. It's not perhaps the most progressive shape. It could, you know, maybe I could it would be a bit faster if it was slightly wider, slightly deeper, that sort of thing. But, you know, it was cheap and it and it works pretty much just you know, according to the wind can't really tell the difference between a full carbon expensive wheel that's fifty mil deep and an alloy rim with a carbon fairing that was, you know, a third yeah, of the price. Yeah, no, that, that's a really valid point. I think we keep coming back to stuff like obviously you are quite performance focused, but I think we both agree generally that like having something that matches your riding and also that makes you feel good does also matter, doesn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. I I am definitely you know, I really care about the performance side of things, but I I do also I love my bike to look good. You know, I, I really like traditional bend handlebars, regardless of whether they're comfortable i think they are but they, I, I would suppose you know they have a very long reach deep drop but i think they look incredible <laughs> so um yeah yeah I, I i like having a bike where if you you lean it against a wall next to a cafe and you walk away from it and you look back and you think yeah that's all right to me that that matters yeah absolutely and um sorry i just i was just gonna jump in to say that um you know, paint jobs make such a big difference. And I've always like I've always thought I would quite like to get a custom paint job at some point. I don't know how much that costs, so maybe it doesn't class as a cheap upgrade. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure that's in the realm of cheap road bike upgrades, but I, I know what you mean. That I follow a few people on Instagram who do custom paint and they're just so cool, some of the things people are doing. Like really original paint jobs. Um who's the one, is it? tuned by tyler yeah sound, sound and there's familiar? places like blue whippet paintworks and and there's one in um in bristol as well whose whose name escapes me now um but i think so you know that that i think you know i'd rather it comes back to that thing i'd rather have a frame that weighs 200 grams more because it's got a really nice paint job than have a you know a bare carbon frame with a tiny bit of gloss lacquer over it just yeah and it looks really dull it's so yeah 
Okay, bringing it back to uh, cheap bike upgrades, since we went <laughs> a little bit off on a tangent. Um, you want your bike to work well. You can be very selective with your components. I think matching your bike to the riding you do is really important. So it might come down to stuff like gearing, for example. I would say, would you enjoy your riding more if you had lower gears? There's nothing to be ashamed of wanting lower gears. In fact, the trend has been for lower and lower gears on road bikes. And a lot of bikes still don't come with especially low ones. And it might be that spending a bit of money on a cassette with a wider range, and maybe if you have to, you'll need a wider a derailleur that can accommodate that because there's always a limit with your derailleur. So you might need a longer cage. Um, but basically getting that gearing, that might make your overall riding experience better and you'll do rides that you wouldn't otherwise do. So I think that kind of stuff's really important and in terms of value for money, it can be huge. Yeah, definitely. If you live somewhere where there are steep climbs or you know you want to visit somewhere where there are very steep climbs, you know, my, my parents live in the Lake District, for example. So whenever I go there, I want to make sure I basically have the biggest cassette on as possible. Um, as you say, there's absolutely no shame in having big cassettes and, I, and this comes from a person who used to think that we should all be running 5339 uh chain rings and 1123 cassettes out back and you know i still quite like the 5339 because big big chain rings are slightly more efficient but i'm very happy to pair it with a wide range cassette out the back i actually just put a, an 1134 tooth cassette on my time trial bike because i wanted to put a 56 chain ring on the front <laughs> so you know there, there, it, it's it's there's no shame in having a big cassette and like you say it can really you know it could be the difference between having to put a foot down on a really steep climb and getting up the climb no problem at all so yeah absolutely um and there are other things i mean on a personal level for example i don't really like super deep wheels i think they look cool i love the whooshing sound that they make when you launch a sprint uh but I don't weigh very much. And if I put a 60 mil deep rim on my bike and I ride it around in Wales where it's often quite windy, I get blown all over the road and I find that really scary. So overall that reduces my enjoyment of cycling. So why would I do it? Um, I feel like we're sort of reaching a natural end here. I don't know if we've given super useful consumer advice. Do you have any <laughs> final thoughts you'd like to add? Um, I, yeah, it's 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 hard, you know obviously in a, a bikes. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Bikes are not a kind of it's, it's not a cheap sport being into cycling. I think if you really want a cheap sport, maybe you should take up running. But at the same time, you don't have to spend the earth. And I I would say ignore kind of. The, the suit sort of the pricey stuff because it, it really is diminishing returns the further up the price scale you get and the, the the lower end stuff can be really really good these days if it kind of matches your needs very precisely so i think that's your point isn't it and and just think about what you really need and then just be very very selective and you you really don't have to spend loads of money yeah i think that's a good point to end on I think we say, by all means, buy stuff. Buy the components that make you happy. Yeah. And also buy components because, you know, I work in the bike industry. And <laughs> please, please support your local bike yeah, shop. Exactly, um, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, be honest with yourself about why you're making those upgrades. And it's absolutely fine to upgrade stuff because it looks cool. Um, but also do think about whether it matches your riding. All right, you've been listening to the Bike Radar podcast. I've been Matthew Loveridge. I've been talking to Simon Bromley. Please don't forget to like and subscribe, 
rate, review us highly wherever you listen to us. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. <laughs>